right, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday and welcome to the vineyard. Hmm, there you go. All right, it's going to be one of those mornings. This is good. This is good. I prefer this. It's way better this way. Um, I do feel compelled before we begin the message this morning to, uh, to let you know how fallible your lead pastor is. If you remember last Sunday, I said Seahawks by 10. So with contrition of heart and hat in hand, I want you to know I was wrong. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I am absolutely wrong, but wasn't it a fun game? Yes, it absolutely was. And don't you feel sorry for all those people who went to church on Sunday night? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. God bless, you know, God bless those people who went to church on Sunday night. God bless them. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would overtake them. I know, I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. All right, hey, moving on, moving right on. Uh, We are going to continue and at the same time finalize our series that we've been in here at the Vineyard from the book of Proverbs called Get Wisdom. This is our last Sunday, and I'm not going to lie to you, I'm just a little bit sad. I'm a little bit sad. I'm a little bit sad because, for me anyway, it feels like I'm just now settling into the book. Uh, I've been reading Proverbs every day. I hope you have too. And it seems like after a month of reading the Proverbs, I have about a million sermon ideas uh, that I'm never going to get to, but such is the life of a preacher. It's, it's my cross to bear. Um, but this morning, this morning I want to talk to you about one of the most famous and probably one of the most quoted scriptures in the book of Proverbs, and it, it's famous for a reason. Uh, just like every piece of scripture that's famous, like, you know, you guys realize all the scriptures are true, and all the scriptures are profitable for teaching and correction, as Paul would say to Timothy, but you understand that some places in the scripture are kind of like the peaks of a mountain range, right? They step out a little bit taller, and, and they're famous for a reason. Like, they're not just true, but there's something about them that has that makes them a little stickier, and you can grab a hold of them and take it with you. And So that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to look at one verse here. It's out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is what Solomon says. He says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for for from it flow the springs of life. Now I'm having a hard time this morning. I'm going to try that again. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Wow. Maybe your translation says what? Guard your heart? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to talk a little bit about guarding your heart because it's the wellspring of life. I had another message already prepared and I chucked it so we could talk about this. Really good message about how Solomon ended up in ruin. Anyway. Anyway. This scripture here. These are probably words that Solomon received from his father, David. And if you read read Proverbs chapter 4, at the beginning there's a bit of a hint that maybe some of what he's writing down is uh, not just stuff that 
that he got by revelation necessarily, and not just stuff that he made up and sounded good, but there's this sense in which, especially if you read the beginning of chapter 4, there's this sense in which that maybe it's autobiographical and that maybe Solomon received it as words from his father, David. And I actually believe that these are probably words that Solomon received from his father, David, precisely because of the content of these words in particular. Keep your heart. And by the way, as soon as you see the word heart, you should think of David, right? You should think of David. All all the way through the narrative of David, the one word that shows up over and over again and is sort of a controlling theme, a controlling controlling, um, narrative in the life of David is this word heart. Remember what the scripture says about David. David was a man after God's own heart. And so I believe that David is actually speaking out of that to his son, and I believe that we're receiving it from his son, and it's been recorded in the scripture. Keep your heart. Watch over your heart. Guard your heart. You can kind of see maybe King David sitting with his little son, telling him to watch it, guard it, protect it. You've got to watch out for your heart because it's, it's a spring of life. Now, one of the things I know in a room like this with all these people, and especially if you connect this room this morning with all these people and the room that will be here in another hour with all of those people, and most certainly if you connect these rooms to all the rooms that are in our county this morning showing up to worship Jesus. One of the things I know is that with all of these lives that are represented here and with all these choices that we've made, that there's a pretty good chance that many of us in the room here know a thing or two about this. We know we know what it means, at least in some ways, to to not guard our hearts. Uh, many of us in the room have probably had times when we walked in tremendous pain because we weren't wise. And I'd say that even in this room this morning, there's more than a few broken hearts present with us. I'd say that there's a more than a few bruised souls gathered in the purple chairs this morning. And if that's the case, if that's the case, if you've got a broken heart or if you've got a bruised soul, the good news is this. Jesus, the healer, is here. That's the good news. And, and this is what Jesus says. He says, smoldering wick, I will not put out. Bruised reed, I will not break. Now, I want to say this before we get into the heart of this message. I want to talk for a second here about what this message is not about. What this message is not about. This message is not about becoming a more paranoid or suspicious person. A lot of times when people talk to you about guarding your heart, what they really mean is become more paranoid, become more suspicious. Oftentimes, paranoia and suspicion masquerade themselves as wisdom. All the time. I'm not talking about becoming a more paranoid person. I'm not talking about... Becoming emotionally robotic. Guard your heart. Sometimes when we hear the words guard your heart or keep your heart, what we end up translating that into is become emotionally robotic. I'm not talking about that. I'm also not talking about becoming less vulnerable or less authentic. The world doesn't need more fakers. Doesn't need more fakers. But I'm but that's not what this morning's message is about. Uh, this morning's message is also not about erecting Erecting religious barriers around us. Or living, or living like this. Living with avoiding pain as the supreme value in life. Now, here's the deal. I'm not advocating for more pain. Only a fool would do that. 
But there's a tension here, and it's, and it's really important because part of what the book of Proverbs holds out to us is that our thoughts and that our actions and our decisions are accumulating to create a particular kind of life. And some of us have endured all kinds of pain, all kinds of pain, terrible pain. And worse still, some of us have endured terrible pain because we were the source. Like, we were the source, you know, it's like, Wow, that's the worst kind. Pain is bad. Uh, what makes it even worse is when you wake up to the reality that I, I asked for this. Didn't know it, but I asked for it. So the book of Proverbs holds out this to us, that our life, our actions, our decisions, putting lots of things in play. Part of gaining wisdom is about coming into a kind of life that isn't adding unnecessary pain to the difficulty that's sure to show up anyway. But at the same time, some pain can't be avoided. Church, you got to hear this. Some pain can't be avoided. If you live your life with avoiding pain as being the number one supreme value, you will be a fool. Some pain can't be avoided. For instance, Jesus did go to the cross. He didn't go around it. He didn't go under it. He didn't go above it. He went through it. Some things can only be gone through. And in fact, one of the things that is most uniquely Christian is that oftentimes real Christians, real believers are not avoiders, they're go-throughers. Some pain can't be avoided. So there are two kinds of foolishness that most of us fall into. On the one hand, a lot of us are blind. We live life blind. What we might call not guarding our hearts and we find a helping heaping pile of disaster. Or, on the other hand, we live life as avoiders, doing anything to go around pain, and in the process, we waste valuable time and energy only to end up hurt along the way. There's nothing, there's nothing that I know of that's more soul-crushing than being a pain avoider who ends up hurt. That's, that's, the, that's the problem with being a pain avoider, is that you will work doubly hard to try to avoid pain. You will waste time. You will waste emotional energy. You will waste other resources. And at the end of the day, some things can't be avoided and you get hurt anyway. Wow. Foolishness. Two kinds of foolishness. So what is this message about? It's not about becoming paranoid. It's not about becoming emotionally robotic. And it's not about becoming a less vulnerable person. What is guarding your heart? What is keeping your heart? What is it about? Well, it's about becoming more aware. It's about becoming first more aware of our own hearts, more aware of our own souls, our motivations, our emotions, and the subtle currents of our interior life, what you might call your soul weather. Everybody's got weather on the inside. Um, I don't know if you were aware of it this week or not, but uh, this week here in central Kentucky, we had probably as impressive a string of beautiful sunrises and sunsets that I've ever seen. Did you guys notice that? Like, every morning was gloriously beautiful. And I think Friday night might have been the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in Kentucky. Did you guys see that? And everyone's like posting their Instagram pictures of it, and it's like, oh, that kind of sucks. And it, in real life, it was incredible. River told me, don't post it, Dad, because it just, you can't capture it. Right? On Friday night, I'm driving to E-Town with my kids. Well, some of my kids. i got like a million of them. And I'm, I'm driving to E-Town with some of my kids. And it's Magnolia and it's River and it's Rowan. And the sunset is, it's, it's stunning. I, I told the kids, this is as beautiful as I've ever seen 
this is actually better than Maui. I don't even know how that's possible. It was better than Maui. You know, it's intense. And Maggie from the back of the van says, Red at night. Sailor's delight. Yeah, just like that. How many of you understand that if it's red at night, that in general, you're going to have good weather, right? It's just one of those things we kind of know. Well, how is it that we could know about the weather, but not know about the currents and the cloud formations and the subterranean movements of our own heart? Soul weather, heart weather, like your motivations, not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it. That's what this is about. Guarding your heart is about waking up, not just to the things I do, but why I do it. Why I do it. This message is also about who has access to our hearts. Wisdom is, wisdom is in many ways, knowing, to, knowing who to give what part of ourself to. Uh, one of the common denominators for foolish people, foolish people constantly do this. Foolish people are always listening to foolish people. For instance, for instance, couples who take marriage advice from their divorced co-workers. People who take money advice from other broke people. People who give their tender spot away to someone who is trying to sell them something or trying to sleep with them or someone who flatters them with a few compliments on Instagram. You think I'm kidding, this happens all the time. Part of wisdom is knowing who to give what part of yourself to. Foolish people are always listening to idiots. I, it happens all the time. It's like, it's like you're in crazy relational issues, and then you go and listen to someone who's even more jacked up with, than you. You know what this really tells us? We don't really want to hear the truth. We just want to hear somebody tell us what we want to hear. That's why we listen to stuff. Foolish people do that all the time. Get totally broke and go listen to guys been bankrupt eight times. Give our tender spot away. This is this is really common. Probably one of the most common things. Just giving our tender spots away to people who are trying to sell us something or sleep with us. See, if our affirmation is coming from people who don't really know us, look out. This is part of what it means to guard your heart. If your affirmation, your sense of self-worth is coming from people who do not know you, look out. You're not guarding your heart. You're wide open. When we give our best to those who are invested the least, you should look out. When we are working the hardest for people who are far from us, you need to watch out. And finally, this is part of the poison that has crept into the heart streams. And it's a sure sign of an un tended heart when i'm deaf to people at home but i'm desperate for those out there the door to my heart is wide open all the time all the time listening to foolish people listening to people who are worse than us listening to people who are far away from us being deaf to the people who are closest to us giving our tender spots away to people who are not invested in us ignoring the people that we've got blood and marrow Joining us together. That is foolishness. That's an untended heart. This message is also about becoming awake to how our decisions grow and take root. How little choices become bigger. That thing we talk about here occasionally called trajectory. 
about being able to forecast choices. That's what guarding your heart really is. It's about being able to forecast choices, just like you forecast the weather. Becoming awake to how emotions grow and take root. How emotions now become something else later. How loneliness and rejection now become adultery and unfaithfulness later. See, no, no one just wakes up one morning and goes, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking to ruin my marriage and commit adultery. No, that's not how it starts. It starts with loneliness and a little bit of rejection. And then you, then you comfort yourself with self-pity for a while. And then you become entitled to certain things that you don't feel like you're getting. And you begin to take a little choice there. You take a little movement there. You take a little movement there. The next thing you know, you're not forecasting, you're not forecasting the weather of your own heart. And in a year or maybe less or maybe more, you end up in a place that you never knew you were going. The untended heart. It's living in the moment with an awareness of the future. This is what a tended heart is. How emotions and choices are are becoming something more. How often what feels good now over time rots and becomes painful. How insecurity, when it's undealt with, becomes desperate, which becomes life change, which becomes a monster. Which becomes a monster. It's It's like millions of people who lose weight in January, not because they want to get healthy, but because they're radically insecure people and they just think you know all of my all of my all of my self-worth is rooted in how i look on the outside they lose a few pounds but they never deal with the insecurity issue and then they become a small smaller person who is actually even more insecure and then they become entitled and judgmental and rotten and then they lose it how many how many times how many times Uh, i can think of a person right now who never dealt with their insecurity issues, lost some weight, and left their partner about a year afterwards. Why? She got set free, man. She finally got to be the person she wanted to be. What was the problem? Untended heart. Untended heart. It's about becoming more aware. Here's why we have to become more aware. I see three things in this scripture. The reason we have to become more aware is because, number one, our hearts are valuable. Why else would Solomon tell you to keep your heart or to guard your heart unless it were valuable? How many of you understand no one guards garbage? There are no locks and there are no doors at the garbage dump. There are no armed guards. However, at Fort Knox, there are fences, there are guns, there are troops. There are locks. There are probably retinal scanners. I like to imagine that there's retinal scanners. <laughs> I want one of those. Those are really actually getting cheap. I'm going to put those at my house so when you come over. <laughs> we have to take up this issue of guarding our heart because it's actually valuable. No one, no one guards their trash. No one guards a garbage dump. No, instead, we guard what is valuable. It's also valuable because it's the seat of a person. It's the foundation of who we are. For instance, I could lose my arm in a car accident. And that would be really traumatic. Like, it would be really, really, really traumatic. But my arm, whether I have it or whether I lose it, is not able to access the rest of my person without my heart's permission. It can, losing my arm can only ruin my life if my heart lets it. Does that make sense? 
Why? Because the heart, the heart, the heart is the foundation. See, the heart is treasure because invisibly and powerfully, it's touching the whole person. Like who you are springing up from the inside. It's the reason that Solomon uses this image of springs, springs of life. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. The second reason we need to guard our heart, not only because they're valuable, but because our hearts are the source. This idea that it's the spring, it invisibly touches the whole person. Solomon uses the image of a stream of life or a fountain of life or a spring. Springs are, springs are sources. They're headwaters in some ways. And when I was growing up, my dad had about 13 acres. And on our 13 acres, there were a lot of springs. There was a creek that ran behind our house. It's called Pinch Creek. And I can think of at least three or four natural little bubbling springs that bubbled up right out of the ground and ran down into the creek and added to it, right? Springs are sources. Water bubbles up from hidden underground aquifers that comes to the surface and it trickles out of the spring and it, this happens both in the rainy season and the dry season. So your heart, your heart has life in rainy and dry seasons. There's always a flow. There's hidden reservoirs in our lives coming up from the deep. Every spring is fed by something. It's drawing on something. And in the case of Kentucky, every spring is drawing from lots of somethings. Runoff and rainfall and these underground streams, these underground aquifers, they bubble up. And so part of what Solomon is saying is that you have to watch over what you feed on because it eventually becomes who you are. Watch over what you draw from. Watch over what you draw from. This is what it means to guard your heart. You've got to watch over what you draw from. And we're just going to look at maybe three or four things really quick. This is not a comprehensive list. This is the part where I need you to be real smart and apply it in new and various ways, right? One of the things we need to watch over is our friendships. This is so, this is so, so, so huge. You know, uh, it's actually pretty good advice. Uh, someone, once said, someone once said that we are, all of us, uh, as individuals, we are a rough estimate of the five people we spend the most time with, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? It's kind of one way to look at it. Think about the people that you hang out with the most, the five people you hang out with the most. Somehow you're a rough estimate of all those people. I actually believe that to be true. This is one of the reasons why it's so good and so essential to hang out with quality people. You can take, you, very few people, very few people can stand up to bad company for very long. For a while you can, but eventually you just lose it. Eventually the social dynamic takes over and you find yourself in spots and places that you never imagined. And some might hear this and say, well, well but I want to be an open person. You know, I, I don't want to just isolate myself, you know, with, with five really good people and have our own little commune. Well, time out. No, number one, no one is advocating for becoming a, a, a five-person cult. <laughs> uh, no one is saying that evangelism isn't a good thing. That's not the point. The point is we do want to be open people, but with the treasure of our heart... We reserve that for the best of people, the best of our friends. This is part of what it means. Who, who, who has access to what part of my life? If you're insecure, 
finding five people who are also insecure or perhaps even more insecure to be besties with is not a winning strategy. It, it, it won't help you. In fact, it'll make you worse over time. If you're a bitter person, finding other people who have been hurt and are bitter, that won't be any good for you either. Here's what's crazy, though. We tend to attract what we are and not what we hope to be. But it's true. You tend to attract who you are and not what you hope to be. Which is why crack houses are full of addicts. Nobody in the crack house is hoping to be an addict. But they are, and that's where they hang out. You tend to attract what you are, not what you hope to be. And what this means is, it means that if we're going to watch over our hearts, it means that wisdom, or watching over, or guarding our hearts, will oftentimes mean that we have to make choices and make moves which seem counterintuitive. So it might mean that what you and I need to do right now is we watch over our friendships and who we give the treasure of our heart to uh, because we naturally attract a certain kind of person which may or may not be beneficial to us. It might mean in order to take a beneficial step forward, we have to make a step that is counterintuitive and feels vulnerable and is scary to us and begin to reach out to a new kind of person rather than the one we've always been with who has, who is currently solidifying us in the position that is currently killing us. Does this make sense? Yeah. There's a really good chance. Wisdom is oftentimes a counterintuitive move. Secondly, what do we have to watch over? What are these hidden streams? One of the hidden streams is our friendships. It's relational. Uh, The second one is like thought formation or spirit formation. This is really big. I'm going to, I just need to give like a little parenthesis here before we get into this. There ain't no guilt and there ain't no shame attached to what I'm about to say. Part of thought formation and spirit formation has to do with watching over our media consumables. And now, here's what you need to know. I love TV and I love movies. And this, is, this next little part here is not about how everything from Hollywood is evil and we should all throw away our movies and our CDs. No one even has CDs anymore. <laughs> how we should, like, stick Spotify in the oven. I mean, it's not that. But it is about how without some attention given to guarding our hearts, a toxic stream can enter into our spring. Let me just put it this way. Uh, Some of the most current polls show that 57% of Christians read their Bibles less than four times a year. Same poll shows that only 26% of Christians are regular readers, meaning more than three times a week. Now, you tell me what is driving the bus if that's true, right? Where's the formation coming from? See, your heart is not a vacuum. It will be formed. It will be formed. If there isn't a pure stream from God's word coming in, if there isn't some space provided for meditation and prayer to set in the presence of God, And to give him access to who I am fully. If there isn't some space for that. If there is only what we listen to. What we watch. And what we do in groups together. You tell me where the formation comes from. This this is not about guilt. It's just about getting real for a second. Yeah. 
See, judging by what I judging by what I see on social media, I would say that Fox News, Mad Men, and the NFL are the most powerful formational streams in our culture right now. Does anybody disagree? See, I, I don't know. Uh, see, the question isn't the question isn't should we or shouldn't we consume these things. The the real question is what is forming what. What is forming what? Is the scripture, along with my prayer, is, 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 is receiving God's word and having some space to meditate with God and to sit in his presence, is that informing my media consumption, consumption, in which case watching could actually be redemptive, or is the opposite happening? See, like, there has to be some space. Where is my soul being formed? By whose opinion? By whose opinion? If I have a formed soul, if I have a formed soul by the Spirit and by the Word of God, then I can receive anything, I can receive almost almost anything, and it can be a redemptive process. Without those two things, it will be a silent, toxic stream, and there will be a voice in there, there will be a voice that will grow louder and louder over time, and it will cause me, in many, many ways, to become totally blind and totally deaf to who God is. Thirdly, little streams to watch over. Little streams. Thirdly, uh, our histories. Every person has a history. Every person in the room has a history. Uh, this is part of our inheritance. And, and some, some of you received a better inheritance than others in the room. Let's just be honest for a moment, right? Your history, uh, how you grew up, the home you were born into, uh, the way and the culture and and the style of leadership or lack of leadership. Uh, uh, some of us in the room were raised like wild animals. Uh, some of us in the room never even got a chance to be a wild animal. We were just so locked up. Some of us, yeah, everybody in the room has a history and it's part of our inheritance. Some of us in the room have a better history than others. Some of us have a better inheritance than others in that part. But part of guarding our hearts means that we have to hold our history, especially the painful parts we have to hold it out to God. If you, if you don't, if you don't hold the painful parts out to God, if you don't let him touch and heal it, it will be, it will be an acid rain stream bubbling up. You won't, you won't notice it. You know why you won't notice it? Because it's all you've ever had. You don't even know it. You, you don't even know it. You're just like, well, here's the deal. You understand that if the only thing you ever drank was toxic water, that you wouldn't even know that you, what you were drinking was poison? Like, if you, only, if you only drank hemlock your whole life, you wouldn't even know that it was poison until you died. And then it's too late. And then you still didn't know. See, some of us in this room right now, we need to let God, we need to let God touch the tender spots. We need to let God touch the stuff you haven't talked about. We need to let God touch the stuff that's buried. See, I like this idea that Solomon's putting here. The springs of life, they, it comes from underneath. There's some stuff in this room that's underneath that you haven't talked about, that you've buried, and you want to forget, and you, maybe, maybe even part of your mind has walled it off, and you can barely get access to it. That's the stuff you need to go dig it up. You need to go dig it up. Why? Because it's a little toxic stream, and it's in your aquifer, and it's ruining stuff. See, the very stuff that's coming out of your fountain, it's in the mix. And until it's healed, it's contaminating the flow with emotional blood and guts. Time to get healed. Time to get healed. And by the way, hey, why don't we do this before we turn 35? And if you're older than 35, then 
by all means, get on it. Here, here's, here's, this is my experience. Uh, m- most people don't realize that they have emotional blood and guts contaminating the fountain of their life until they hit about 35. You know why? Because all the stuff that's wrong, you're not aware of it. And when you're 18, a lot of people think it's cute. Oh, it's just part of the idiosyncrasy of that personality. We, we leave people space to be who they are, to be, you know, to be an individual. Well, it's not, it's, not, it's not amplified yet. It's not amplified through the years. And so when you're 18, there could be, a, there could be something in your life uh, that is coming through your underground stream. And it makes you maybe a little unique, a little weird sometimes or... A little hard to be around, but not really because you're just 18 and it has, that sucker hadn't grown up. It's not, it's not a giant python. It's just a six-inch baby snake, you know? It's just tiny. And so, yeah, it's not really such a big deal. It's just kind of it's the unique part of who they are. And then that keeps happening and that keeps happening and that keeps being unformed and it's unformed and it's unformed and it grows and that string keeps coming that stream keeps coming and you get to 35 and you're like, holy crap, my life is ruined. Like I'm a jerk, like I'm a total jerk, like I'm angry, I have anger issues, I have lust issues, I have acquisition, got to buy all my stuff issues because I just got to do it. See, you got to be about 35 before you can run up about $40,000 on your credit card because they don't let 18-year-olds do that. <laughs> See, at 18, at 18, your credit card balance is only 1000 bucks, and everybody's like, well, you know, I mean, I, it's not great, but... It's just a thousand bucks, you know, not a big deal. You get to be 30 and you got 40 on one credit card and that doesn't include your house payment or your car payment or your kids' tuition or this. And then you're like, what happened? Underground stream, emotional blood and guts in the water, contaminated. Time to get healed. Does that make sense? We could go on. I mean, we could actually do this all day and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to keep moving. I have some more, but we're just going to keep moving. See, all of these, all of these are, are important underground streams that are comprising the fountain of your life and of my life. And they need attention because Solomon said that they have flow. And that's the real trouble with the spring. The trouble with the spring is it never stays put. A spring always has flow. It's the headwater to a stream. So watching over our hearts, guarding our hearts... Keeping our hearts is not just for us as individuals, but it's also for our families. It's for our faith communities and our neighborhoods and so on. A a toxic heart is not a private affair. This is what you need to know. Your toxicness is not a private affair. It's always flowing out. It will touch your family first and deepest. And then it will come into this house. And all your stuff gets spilled around in here. And then it touches the wider community. Well, as the pastor of this house, I would like to say, it's my dream that this would be a toxic-free zone. That's one, that's one of my dreams. Is I pray that sometimes. God, would you make my church a toxic-free zone? Not that toxic people wouldn't come, but they would just get healed. That's, that's what we want, right? Like, See, toxicness is never a private affair because Solomon says it's a fountain. It just it flows and it goes. And a toxic stream pollutes more than itself. See, wisdom is looking down the road... Uh, What is comforting today may be distressing tomorrow and a nightmare the day after next. For instance, for instance, let's just talk really ugly here for a second. For instance, pornography has exploded in the last two decades on the Internet. 
It has exploded. And everybody in the room knows why pornography has exploded in the last two decades. It's called the Internet. And one of the things the Internet has done is it's made getting access to pornography really easy, and it's made viewing pornography private, or at least it seems private, right? But recent research has said this. Recent research has begun to take note of the fact that modern Western sexual practice is now disproportionately influenced by pornography. Meaning, meaning, even this is this is not just non-believers. This is in Christian couples as well. Meaning that what couples do in the bedroom has been learned not by years of love and intimacy and exploration and monogamous marriage, but by what, but, but by what has been depicted in pornographic movies. Do you, everybody understands what I'm saying, right? So you've seen it, and it gets brought in. Maybe it's never talked about between the two, but we're going to act this stuff out. And so our bedroom has to become this private pornographic movie, which seems, okay, great, this is fine. It's still private. It's not hurting anyone. Except what is on pornography? What, what is the main message in pornography? Several things. But the main recurring message of pornography is Women are objects. That is the message. It's about power. It's about power. And so we have been formed by seeing women objectified over and over again. We, have, we are being formed by seeing women oftentimes dominated. And then subtle forms of male domination fantasy are put on display in really non-subtle ways. And that, brings into the, that comes into the bedroom. And then what do you get? Well, you get insecurity on the part of women. What if I'm not pretty enough? And then you get role-playing that empowers a part of men that the kingdom of heaven stands against. And then, and then you get ultimately dissatisfaction with our partners, either their looks or their performance. Then you get dissolving marriages. It is no accident in my brain that millennials are avoiding marriage and severely addicted to porn at the same time. Does this make sense? Unguarded heart. Unguarded heart. Thirdly, Solomon says, guard your hearts. If he says, guard your hearts or watch over your hearts or keep your hearts, he would only say so with the understanding that they're under attack. One of the things we need to understand right here this morning is that your hearts are under attack. This is one of those places that we need a bit of a warfare posture. You don't, you don't guard anything that isn't valuable. And if it's valuable, it's probably open to being stolen or taken or abused. Now, here's the thing. We need, this is one of those areas in our life where we need to take a bit of a warfare stance. Uh, and you need to know this about me. I'm not a huge warfare guy. Like, I don't look for demons in every bush. In fact, I look for ways to say it's not a demon. I'm just not a huge warfare guy. But this is one of those places that we need to take a warfare posture. Church, everybody in the room needs to wake up. Uh, not only is there a kingdom of heaven, but there's a kingdom of darkness. Not only is there God, Holy Spirit, angels, and his presence, but there is Satan, there are demonic forces, and they hate you. It is real. It's totally, totally real. It is not a joke. This is not medieval. Well, let me put it this way. This is how medieval your pastor is. I believe all that stuff. And we need a warfare posture. Sometimes we need a warfare posture. Guard your heart. Guard your heart from what? Guard your heart from your own motivations and your desires. 
uh, your history, the way you grew up, your friendships, all your insecurities. And at the same time, realizing that some of what we feel is being perpetuated by a systemic dark force that is, that is alive and moving in the universe. It is called the kingdom of darkness. It has to be resisted. This is one of the places that prayer comes in. I personally believe that ultimately guarding our hearts is a matter of choice. Ultimately, it's a matter of choice. But our choices are ultimately a matter of prayer. How many of you understand that sometimes you don't get the power to make a choice until you've prayed it? Sometimes for months or even years. Uh, how many of you, some of us are, some of us are really connected to, to and aware of the fact that we're weak people. You know what I'm talking about? Like anybody here in the room have like areas in your life where you're just really weak and you know that the Lord is asking you to be able to make better choices in an area, but you're really, really weak. Well, some of that may have to do with like that history fountain that needs to get healed. But some of it may just be that, the, that your ability to make kingdom choices needs to be formed in prayer. Like, like some things need to be healed in a moment, but then other things, other things come by prayer. Like it's that whole prayer and fasting thing that Jesus talked about. Some things just come by prayer and it's, and it's by setting, setting with him, like getting, getting his mind. It's setting with him and learning, learning with him how to make better choices, uh, getting spiritual strength that there is spiritual strength that comes by prayer. It comes by prayer. Um, uh, this is phenomenal to me. Uh, in the last two weeks, I've had the Lord answer a couple prayers uh, for me. It, it didn't really, just some things I was praying about. Uh, both of these things were things that I've been praying for for more than a year. So some things only get formed, our ability to make choices. Sometimes it doesn't come short. Sometimes we need to sit in the place of prayer with God. We need to go in, into the school of prayer with Jesus. This is one of the reasons that Jesus gave the disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer. But it's one of the reasons at the end of the Lord's Prayer, what's the last part? Deliver us from... Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from temptation, right? Why? Why? Because Jesus knew you've got to have a warfare mindset. If you're going to guard your heart, you've got to have a warfare mindset. And there's something about being able to stand up against temptation and evil that only comes in the place of being a disciple who prays. Every day. Not crisis prayers. Every day. Crisis prayers are legal. But more than that. Finally. Finally. Solomon says. Springs of life. Fountain. All this stuff comes up from underneath. Church. We need. We need the fountains of our life to be filtered through the rock. We need the fountains of our life to be filtered through Jesus. See, just like in Kentucky, all those underground aquifers, they bubble up and they come to the surface, but not until they go through many, many limestone layers. Heather and I went to a distillery this week, took a date. It was awesome. We went to Maker's Mark. First time I'd ever been to that one for some reason. They have a 10-acre lake on the top of this ridge that is from their streams that comes through Many, many, many layers of limestone rock. And because of that, all the iron gets filtered out and leaves the water calcium rich. And when they cook it with corn and wheat, 
and barley malt, something magical happens. <laughs> but it's actually a picture. It's actually a picture, not unlike what Solomon is telling us even right now. One of the things that we need, church, is we need the streams of our life filtered through Jesus. We need them filtered through the rock. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, looking back at the children of Israel when they were wandering in the desert, he says they drank from that spiritual rock, and that spiritual rock is Jesus. See, we need the, lot, we need the water of our life, those hidden streams, we need them to come up, but before they hit the surface, we need them to hit the Son of God. We need them to be filtered right through the person of Jesus. We have to take our streams to be purified to Jesus. Is there a rock in the hidden recesses of your life? Is there a rock in the hidden recesses of your life? Is there a hidden place where Jesus is something for you more than just like Sunday morning stuff? Like, is there a hidden place under the surface of your life, in the soil where all the water is, where the dirt is? Has the Son of God, as the capstone, the cornerstone, the chief foundation, has He been laid into the ground for you? Like, has, has the streams of your life, do they run? Do they touch Him? Does, it, does, it, does everything have to percolate up through Jesus? Is Jesus the final answer on everything in your life? That's what, that's what this image is about. How do we get purified? We get purified by giving Jesus access to be the final answer and the determiner on what can pass and what stays. It has to come through Him. It has to come through Him. There is a fountain filled with blood. It's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath the flood. They lose all their guilty stains. Amazing thing happened this week. Totally amazing. Um, somewhat autobiographical again. Uh, this week, I had an amazing thing happen here at the church. Uh, I had two confessional moments this week that were just stunning. People carried stuff with them, just got rid of it. Here's what's even more stunning. This is why I know this is like something the Lord's doing with us right now. Two days, I have two amazing confessional moments here at the church. They, they came after the very days that I was teaching at the university. And right now, I'm, I'm, I'm Dr. John Hurchin's graduate assistant, and we're doing, we're doing general letters together, which Hebrews through Jude. And right now, we're in Hebrews. And this week... My portion of the class session was to teach on Jesus, our great high priest, who takes away our sin and becomes the sin offering for us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. And as soon as I get done teaching that, I come to my office and I meet people who get crazy stuff out into the open. What is Jesus doing here at our church? He's becoming a filtration rock. It's set underneath the surface. The streams... The streams of water are bubbling up and they're touching that and he's cleaning everything out and it's, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. The question this morning is, have you laid Jesus into, into the dirt of your life? Have you laid him down into those hidden places, into those resources? Does he have access? Does he have access? Is he allowed to be the final answer? Guard your heart. Amen. Amen. Man, good Lord, I'm going to get saved again. I'm feeling it. Dude, I could probably do some high kicks even. 
Mm. Why don't you guys stand up this morning? We'll pray. Pray, pray. And if I've got a ministry team, why don't you come up? I'm sure there's some people here who need prayer. While they're coming, uh, is there anybody in the room who has never laid Jesus into the dirt of their life to be to be the filter and the final word? Is there anybody in the room who needs to say yes to Jesus? I give terrible altar calls, by the way. This is one. I, I, I'm committed to being the most unhyped altar call guy in the world. You, I'm not going to twist your arm. But is there anybody in this room who needs to say yes to Jesus? Maybe for the very first time, you never follow the Lord and you need to. You know, it's like, wow, I got to do this. I, I got to do this. If that's you, just put your hand up. Anybody here? Anybody? Go in once. Go in twice. Not you, Marcus. You're already saved. You're in. Hallelujah. Going gone. Why don't you put your hand over your heart? Let's ask God to help us guard it. Father, we give you access to everything we are. And Jesus, we say that you can be the filtration stone. That you can be the limestone in the soil of our life. God, we ask that all of our streams would begin to run to you. God, we ask that all of our choices, all of our decisions, all of that internal weather, that it would be filtered through you. God, we ask that you would cause us to wake up, that we would become aware of all the ways that our choices, our friendships, our insecurities, um, all the ways that we receive this and that is becoming a formational moment, making us into a person who is either more fit or less fit for your kingdom. God, help us guard our hearts. And on the days that we do a terrible job, we trust that Jesus is our rear guard. And on our worst moment, we trust that Jesus says, I've got it. In your name, amen. Give somebody a high five and a hug.